Good morning, everyone. It's great to have you here today and uh, to spend some time together in Scripture. Hello to those of you in the East Auditorium as well. We're very glad that we are coming together as one congregation today to... Um, I'm a Cards fan. <laughs> but Cards fans, let's give it up for the Cubbies. They did well last night. Greg Taylor from First Christian Church in Clinton, who is often on the air with me on direct line, heard each and every Wednesday evening from 5 to 7 p.m. on WSOY, News Talk 1340, <laughs> <laughs> has, a, has a friendly gentleman's um, discussion, agreement, that if the Cubbies go all the way to, the, to win the World Series, I will wear a Cubs shirt to preach in. So those of you... So that will be quite the day, so be ready for that if that should come about. But nonetheless, <laughs> what's that? You'll pick out a nice one. I'm going to need it. Okay, all right. Well, anyways, um, I want to spend some time with you looking at Scripture today. My name is Wayne. I'm part of the pastoral team here. For If you're a guest, we're very glad you're with us. And uh, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6. Grab a Bible if you can. Maybe you've got one on your smartphone or a tablet. If you don't own a Bible... Uh, Take one of the ones that's in the pew rack here in the West Auditorium, in the East Auditorium. Uh, some folk are moving around the room right now to give you a Bible, and we'd be glad if you'd take that home as our gift to you today. Uh, I, I also want to think, before we kind of start this this morning, I, I also want to give thanks to you for your prayers for our family throughout the past few weeks. Many of you know that in, in, in July, our daughter had a little girl, her name is Pippi, and then uh, just a couple weeks ago, our, um, our daughter-in-law, uh, brought twins to our family, and so uh, they wanted you to see who, what they look like. Here's a photo of the twins. Two little boys, identical. Uh, Brooks was born at six pounds. Jet was born at 4'11". They are healthy. They are home. Uh, there were never any issues with them in the hospital or anything like that. So now we are learning, uh, we are learning the routines of feeding every three hours on the clock. So um, both of them, and it, it's a, for the, we've joined the twin club. And our lives have been turned upside down, both in love and in routine. So um, it's all good. And so thank you for your prayers for the kids as they uh, made their way through that. Obviously, Courtney did the heavy lifting on it. So uh, we're very glad for that. So I, I uh, chatted, was chatting with an acquaintance this week. Uh, he's a consultant to nursing homes and to hospitals and other kinds of organizations like that, both for-profit organizations and non-profit organizations. He really helps them determine best business practices, if you will, customer service. And one, one of the nursing homes that he relates to recently decided that they were going to go to paperless charts for all their client records. And uh, they knew it was going to be expensive. They knew it was going to be difficult. But one of the things that they had not anticipated that came their way in a rather unusual way is as they rolled this out, they learned that they were going to have to have printer stations at every nurse's station. And you go, well, if they've got computers, why do they need printers at every... They're, not, they're going for paperless, right? And here's the problem. If the computer goes down, they still have to print out all those patients' records so they can see what happened three days ago and so forth and so on. So in essence, by going to paperless, they're paying for the computers, but they still have paper as well. Does that sound like you? I mean, it seems to me that um, this business of moving to a paperless culture has a whole lot more paper involved. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that? Like, the reams of paper that come to your house now in the mail 
it seems like it's exorbitant to me. Leslie and I are responsible for her mother's care, and um, she's in a nursing facility here in the city. And so consequently, we're, we're dealing with the medical community on her behalf and Medicare, Bless their hearts. They must, they must have a paper factory because they send it to us with such regularity. I, we get so much paper, I'm convinced we could pay for the next president's salary for a year, regardless of who it is going to be. I thought computers are supposed to make our lives easier. Mm-mm-mm-mm. There may be some things that we don't do anymore, but I've, my observation is that they have not made our lives less complicated or less stressful. And to that end, may I suggest to you that for all of us in the rooms, uh, when it comes to the ways in, which we, um, ways in which we have to manage our lives, it often looks like this and this and this, right? Just like you can see on the logo that we have for our, um, for our series here today. There's one thing after another. I mean, you, there doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason to how life comes way along sometimes. And it's usually juicy related to finances, right? And then, <laughs> you want to talk about really complicated, add the presidential discussion. <laughs> right? I, <laughs> a lot of anger there, right? A lot of frustration there. <laughs> and then for those of you who are Cubbies fans, it's like, we're going to do it. Like, you know, how's, it, how's it all going to come together, right? And we, yet we long for some peace in this. You know, Jesus talked about peace a lot. We're in church. We should look at what Jesus had to say about this sort of chaos where our lives are just going constantly like that. What did Jesus say? Well, the fact that Jesus talked about worry, the fact that Jesus talked about peace would indicate that it must be important because Jesus never wasted his words. For example, he said to, he said to his disciples one day, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Or on another occasion, he said to them, don't let your hearts be troubled. If you believe in God, you can believe in me. You can trust what I have to say. And so in that regard, in the hours just before his crucifixion, as he was telling his disciples about the fact that he was going to die, he said this, as I leave, be aware of this, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I don't give it as the world gives. I mean, the, the world has one certain kind of peace, but I have a different kind of peace. I'm not leaving you with that kind of peace that the world has. I'm leaving you with a peace that's significantly different, so consequently, don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. And we go, okay, if, we're, if we are here today as a follower of Jesus Christ to say, okay, I'll take on Jesus' peace, but how? Well, look with me, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Grab your Bible. You may even want to underline this because this is a very important statement that Jesus made. He said, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? He's talking about life, right? Just... Think about, you'll get, get the 30,000 viewpoint, you know, or the 50,000 foot viewpoint of how your life is, okay? Uh, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Okay, so... I worry about my life and I keep doing this, right? I keep messing with this. And it's all those medical bills that arrive and all those forms. You you know, guys, I have a doctoral degree. I can read pretty intense stuff. I have yet to figure out all those forms. 
I have yet to figure out what Medicare is actually sending me. I, I don't, and let, let me just point out, it's not for me. I want to make that really clear. But nonetheless, I still haven't got it figured out. What's with that? And, and, and then beyond that, beyond uh, just the ways in which I have responsibility for that, Jesus says, don't worry about my stuff, verse 28. And why do you worry about clothes? See the flowers of the, how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear. So he's saying, okay, so all your stuff, don't worry about, I mean, you have a lot of stuff that gets in the middle of this, right? I mean, winter's coming. And you've got the stuff at your house that you have to think through. What am I, I mean, the water lines, if you've got a, if you've got a sprinkler system, some of you may have that. You've got to get those cleared. Those of us who don't, we've got to figure out how, how we're going to get our faucets taken care of outside. The, the bushes all need to be trimmed. And, and then for some here, there's the garage. I know some of you in this room bought that house so that you could park your cars in the garage for the winter. And you bought the house five years ago. And apart from the day you moved in, as you parked the car in there one day, and then you backed it out to push all those boxes in there, you've never parked your car in the garage since. And every winter morning, you're out there doing this on the windshield, right? Because you've got all that stuff in your basement, if it's like ours. Has our stuff and all of Leslie's parents' stuff down there as well. And you go, and then apart from the stuff, you know what else there is? Ah, the people. The chaos of the people. You know, 1 Peter 5 says to cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And I I like that. Okay, I can come to the point where I say, okay, I'm going to cast all my anxieties on, on, on Jesus. But the problem is, what when all the other people cast their anxieties on me and they forget to give it to Jesus? Is that your experience? It's what I can handle my own stuff, but it's the other stuff of everybody. Who are we kidding? The chaos of relationships, the family responsibilities you have, the drama that seems to come along at work, the neighborhood gossip, the never-ending one crisis after another lifestyles that some people seem to force upon you. They cause this blob to grow and grow and grow. And then in Matthew, 20, in Matthew 6, verse 25, Jesus says, don't worry. And you go, who are you kidding, Jesus? Do you got this stuff? Do you have what I have? I wonder about this. Why do we so easily pass on Jesus' directive here? I mean, Jesus isn't saying, he's not saying try not to worry. Try to do life with some peace. What does he say? He says, do not worry. It's an imperative. It's a directive. It's a command, if you will. Why do we struggle with this? Because if, G- if we would listen to Jesus about our sexuality, Jesus says, don't commit adultery. So we say, okay, I'm going to back away from that. Don't steal. Okay, I'm going to back away from... Uh, how many of us would ever be party to a conversation like this if somebody came to us and said, you know, I've been having an affair and I, I haven't told my husband yet. And, and the reason I haven't told my husband yet is because, well, because I've been stealing so much from work that I really am trying to figure out where to put all that stuff in the garage without him knowing. And I know that I'm not supposed to steal and I'm not supposed to have sleep around, but 
it's just who I am, and it's the way I do life, and I know it's a sin for everybody else, but it's not for me. And would somebody dare in the lobby in that moment come up to that person this week and say, this afternoon or this morning, and say, hey, I know that Jesus says don't steal and don't sleep around, but it, for you, it's okay. It's okay. It's, it may be a sin for others, and it probably is a sin, but go ahead and stay there. And yet, when it comes to worry, we go, well, Jesus may have been talking to other people about do not worry. But for me, he really wasn't talking to me. Why do we assume that it's a sin for others and not for us? Now, I want to be careful here. I, I don't want to shame you today and say, well, I've been worrying. I, 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 I worry from time to time, and so I must be sinning, and now I'm ashamed of that because I need to acknowledge, like you, there are 3 a.m. periods in the middle of the night when I'll lay on, the, on my back in the bed and stare at a dark ceiling. There are days when I let the struggles of office life I carry them home and let them influence my family discussions and our time around the dinner table. Like you, I have the legitimate dynamics of family life. Get, I let them get, get, get deep within me. And can I just point out something, by the way, just so you're aware of how this really plays out. Leslie and I moved to Decatur in 1994 for me to take over the responsibility of this church in many different ways. And in some ways, you could say I was then responsible for the spiritual care and direction of this congregation and all of you as individuals, to some extent. And look what you did to me. I didn't have a gray hair before I arrived here. <laughs> and now look at me. Now look at me. I have to acknowledge that <laughs> life is chaotic, right? But shame isn't the point. I don't want to just be shameful of that. I want to get past shame, which is simply says, well, I'm, I acknowledge there's wrongdoing. Instead, I want to repent because repentance would say, well, I worry. Jesus said, don't do that. And so I want to walk away from worry. I want to walk away from the chaos. I want to walk away from this mess, from this mess even knowing I have to live it out. And in the middle of the mess, I want to be able to grab a line and go like this. I want to find the peace. I want to find the peace of Jesus Christ. Not only in the midst of this, but coming out of that. How do I do that? How do I leave it pointed out? How do I, how do I leave and, and, and grab a point in life where this isn't plain, where this isn't what's ruling the day, but this is what's ruling the day? You can't just turn the world off. You have to be aware of the world, right? You have to be aware of what's going on. And there is a difference between worry and awareness. Here's what my understanding is, that Satan will always take something that's good and twist it in some evil and malicious way. An awareness of our world, an awareness of all the stuff in front of us is appropriate and is absolutely godly. Can I, and we're gonna, I'm going to explain that. But then Satan takes that awareness and turns it into worry and he twists it and we do end up laying flat on our backs in the middle of the night staring at a dark ceiling. Scripture, though, always praises people who were aware of their situation and knew what to do. They were aware of the details of life, the complexities of decisions, and the Scripture always gives them as models to follow, people who are aware but don't worry. Huh. How do you do that? Well, let me tell you about one guy. A guy by the name of Nehemiah comes to mind. 
where his awareness of the situation that he was walking into was actually considered great wisdom. Some 450 years before Jesus came to earth, Nehemiah approached the city of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem had been overrun by the Babylonians a number of years prior, prior to that, about 150, 150 years prior to that. And the city was still in ruins all these decades later. Nehemiah comes along and looks at the situation and goes, I think we can rebuild this city. And he has this awareness of how the complexity of the problem, the struggles that are going to be in the problem, but he has this awareness. We can fix this. But there are people in the city who are worried that his actions are going to make their lives more difficult. And consequently, they, they literally say, we're not going to fix the problem. And they worry about it. And they try to stop God's plan for the city. Their worry tried to make them stop. Nehemiah's awareness brought about God's plan for the city. Hard, yes. Just like your life. Your life has some hard points. I know that. There are matters at work. There's a situation at the house. Your extended family has got some stuff going on. There's the matter at school, and you go, how's that going to work out? And it, who are we kidding? It could be and can be distressing. You need to be aware of those situations because if you look at the story of Nehemiah, it's awareness that built Jerusalem's walls. Worry would have acknowledged the broken state of the walls and then stopped there, but awareness brought action. Awareness, not worry, brings peace out of the chaos. Because if the evil of worry had won that day, Jerusalem would not have experienced God's plan. And there's a truth there, that we miss God's plan when evil worry rules our lives instead of spirit-led awareness. I mean, look at what Jesus does as he's talking about worry. Look again, Matthew chapter 6. You're going to have to grab your Bible and take a, take a brief look at the whole chapter of, of chapter 6 of Matthew. See if you can see what it says there. And I want you to just take a note of what the, as we're working out of a New International Version here today, take a look at what the editors have, how which they have, if you will, compiled this chapter into some different topics, all right? Now, this isn't original language stuff. This isn't original transcripts. This is what editors have come along later and said, this is what this passage is about. But it's, it's truth that if you look at the context of Jesus' statements before he addresses worry, what does he say? He's talking about giving to the needy. Do you see that at the beginning of the chapter? In other words, he's talking about generosity. Then if you go from there, he's talking about prayer and fasting. In other words, that's spirituality. And then finally, treasures in heaven. He's talking about a long-term view of life, in other words, heaven. And I would ask you, what language, how would you, if you could, compile all that into one brief statement, what language would you use to combine generosity and spirituality and eternal life? How, how is that all best summed up? Isn't that all about a relationship with God and Jesus Christ? In other words, Jesus said his commandments... Jesus said his commandments in the context of knowing and following God. We are to live knowing that God is in charge of our wallets, our souls, and our, ter our eternity. If we live there, it's a, it's a holistic approach. And so that's why verse 25 then, after, after Jesus lays out how we have this holistic approach to life, generosity, spirituality, long-term view of heaven, he says, in light of all that, therefore, did you catch the very first word of verse 25? Therefore, do not worry. 
This discussion of moving away from the sin of worry then is set within the context of knowing that God is in charge. As Pastor Brian put it last week, the peace offered by Jesus is a permanent state of reality based on his work on the cross. You don't, get to, you don't have to do anything to deserve that peace. It comes from resting within a relationship with God facilitated by Jesus' sacrificial death. And then we live it out, fully aware of life struggles, yes, while also believing, you know what? God is in charge. I've, I've rested in him. I'm a person of generosity. I'm a person of deep spirituality. I've got heaven figured out. And as I rest there, therefore, do not worry. So, preaching to myself today, how should I repent of worry? How should I move away from worry? Well, first of all, how should I be aware to not, but not worry? Well, I have to start with trusting with God and then step into how Jesus says to handle worry. It doesn't mean that life is easy or simple. It doesn't mean there's no struggle and even no danger. After all, if you think about it this way, these words of Jesus, 2,000 years old, they applied not only to his culture then and his time then, but they apply to our culture and our time and all the cultures and times in between. And so there are cultures going taking place today, there are settings where Christians live in great danger. How would these words apply to the Christians who are living in ISIS-plagued places like Iraq and Syria? Because if it doesn't work there, then how dare we expect it to work here? Or if it doesn't work here, how would we... I mean, it's got to be even across the board, right? How do you handle life when it's very difficult? I think we we have to go back to what Scripture says. We have to land with the Apostle Paul saying that if God is for us, who can be against us? There's great news. That's a rhetorical question, but if you've got all the other stuff figured out of Matthew 6, if God is for you, who can be against you? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger of the sword? Can, hey, could, in, the, in the long run, can any of that mess with where you're headed? No. Absolutely not. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. For I'm convinced, Scripture says, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, nor the present nor the future, nor anything else in creation, height or death, none of it, none of it will separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, you have to, and I have to acknowledge, there's danger all around. I get that. There's lots of danger. But in the midst of a culture that is opposed to Christian faith in many, many ways, if not 100%, it seems, none of that separates us from the love of God. This mess that you have to live in and be aware of, the health issues that you face, the relational stuff, while we are aware of it and we live it out, we choose to live here instead because we know nothing separates us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I was reminded of this recently while reviewing the situation in Chernobyl. A number of weeks ago, I came across a story. Perhaps you're familiar with that name. Chernobyl, 1986, 30 years ago this year. Uh, Some of you are too young to know about this, but it was the worst nuclear accident in human history. And this nuclear reactor literally blew up and they put all kinds of, they put a concrete sarcophagus on it and the people who put the concrete on it, remember the guy who was the helicopter pilot, he died from just throwing concrete and concrete and all that sort of stuff. When when that occurred, the aftermath meant that a thousand square miles all around the reactor had to be abandoned. 
And within hours, every human was, had to leave immediately. We had a friend who lived there and would go and minister to those people who eventually died as a result of that nuclear exposure. But nonetheless, here's what happened. Whole towns, family farms that were generations old, they were all evacuated. And for 30 years, nobody has gone back there to live. Now and then people are allowed to go and examine what's going on. And they're concerned that that concrete sarcophagus is deteriorating and what are they going to do in the days ahead. So for 30 years, nobody's been there. It's all been abandoned. Humans are not there except the scientists who go in ready to kind of measure what's taking place. Nothing's gone on there. But no one told the animals about that. Nobody told the animals to leave. And something totally unexpected has occurred in the animal and the wildlife population in the thousand square miles around Chernobyl. What would you think has happened? They've mutated? No, they haven't. As a matter of fact, the animal population has exploded in that area of the world. And as a matter of fact, in the cooling tanks of the nuclear reactor itself, fish have come along. And take a look at this video of catfish. They look like sharks, don't they? This is in the cooling tank of the nuclear reactor. The catfish that are living there are 10, 10 years old. They somehow or other appeared 10 years ago. And they are seven feet long. That's a big catfish. That's a big fish fry. Except you wouldn't want that fish because they've, as they've examined these fish, they say the fish are full of nuclear radiation, but they're not mutated. They're full of nuclear radiation because they are eating from the soil at the bottom of the pool, which is the most contaminated portion of the nuclear reactor. So they're eating garbage. But in the midst of eating that garbage, they and the entire animal population, the land animals too, is it's just exploded. What, what could account for that? As people think about that, and as the scientists and, and the uh, animal experts have looked at it, here's what it is. The animals don't have predators anymore. Humans left and are no longer hunting and fishing. And so they're able to, these populations are able to grow. I read that and I was taken back with that because here's my understanding. Here they are living in the midst of a vile, dangerous, radioactive setting, pollution all around them, and yet they flourish. Why? Because they get to live in peace with no predators. Hmm. Who are we kidding? You live in the midst of what sometimes is a vile, contaminated, polluted, almost radioactive setting from time to time. Yet, despite the evil, you and I can flourish there because the peace is found by trusting in God. Nothing separates us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because you know what? God knows what we need. Look at how Jesus put it, verse 31. Verse 31 says, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? The pagans run after all these things. And you need to know this. Your heavenly Father knows you need them. He, need, he knows you need clothes and food. And, and he says, Jesus had said, hey, can I remind you of how the flowers of the field are, 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 um, are, are dressed? You can look at time-lapse photography of flowers, and you can see these flowers bursting forth like this with all this color and beauty. But can I remind you that those flowers started in the ground as either seeds or bulbs, literally compacted with, with the stem, with the ugly stuff of mud and dirt all around them. Yet they push up through the dirt little by little, and then every season they surprise us with their beauty. 
Why is that? Because the very essence of their being causes them to say, I will let beauty be displayed despite the, despite the struggles of me getting through the soil. Jesus said, think about the flowers. They're covered by God's care, dressed in fine blend splendor because it's the very essence of who they are. And I would suggest to you that scripture also speaks about your essence. It says that of your very being, it states that in him, in Jesus, we live and move and we have our being. Your very being, your very essence of who you are is planted in this space and in this time by God. And yeah, you may feel like this from time to time. You may feel like that from time to time. But when we believe that God knows what we need, we get to push through and the glory and the beauty of God's work in our lives is displayed. Here's why. A follower of Jesus Christ experiences peace because he or she rests in God's spirituality and care, and we don't do it on our own selves. Because if we're engaged in this God approach to generosity and spirituality and a long-term view in eternity in heaven, then we're doing what Jesus stated. It says in verse 33, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given as well. In other words, yeah, you've got to be aware, but go back, to your, go back to your roots. Go back to your very essence of who you are. Because it's when we seek God's kingdom that it helps us get our attention off ourselves. It lets us focus on how are we going to use our generosity and our spirituality and our understanding of a long-term view of life. How are we going to use that in the lives of other people? And when we do that, we go, oh, I look at their situation, I go, mine's really pretty good. And suddenly, suddenly what we do, as we are being engaged in God's kingdom, suddenly we go, oh, my life is pretty good and I can start counting my blessings. Because I would ask you this question, hasn't God met your needs sometime in the past? Hasn't God showed up really big time? There are parts of your life that have been good, they have been really, really good. Some of you may know an old hymn in this regard. The words go something like this. When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost. Do you know what? Can you sing with me? Uh, count your many blessings, name them one by one. East order term, we need to hear you. And it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. Some of you are too young to remember that. And we'd say, well, that's old school. Well, it's more than old school. It's very scriptural, actually. Psalm 103 is a psalm in which the author simply goes, I, I, I want to thank God for all the things he's done. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. You know, it's like God is the big HR department in the sky. His benefits. Well, you know, you, if you go take on a job, you go, what are the benefits that I'm going to get? Well, can I tell you that if you walk with God in Jesus Christ, the primary benefit apart from eternal life is this, in the midst and in the middle of that. The benefits, don't forget all his benefits. What are they? He forgives all your sins. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit and crowns your life with love and compassion. He satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And from there, I would invite you to read that passage of Scripture later on today, Psalm 103. Go home, your homework for today, okay? 
because he goes on to describe counting his blessings, all the things that God has done for him, and it brings great peace. What are some of the blessings that God has brought your way? How about the ability to hear, to be in, in church today or watching on the internet today and saying, hey, in light of all that God has given me, big breath, it's okay. I'm going to make it through this. I'm going to push through the, 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 mud, the, the mud and the dirt and all the chaos, and I'm going to move into peace. What about the fact that you have God's image in you today? You are, there's something about you that mirrors God. Or what about that Jesus' grace has been applied to your sins? God's compassionate care has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. In Jesus Christ, we have forgiveness of his sins. Life is eternal. And then you add to that the joys of family. Yes, they are there. There's struggles at times, but there are still joys there. Or the vocations that God has given you, where you do get to say, okay, I'll make this amount of money and I will get a roof over my head and I'm not going to do this in the winter if I don't have to. There are places like that. What are the sweet graces, the divine sweet graces that God has brought your way? We're going to sing Psalm 103. And uh, to that end, in both auditoriums, I'm inviting you to stand and Les is going to lead us. And um, old school again, okay? Some old school stuff here today. And uh, if you don't know, it's a really easy chart. And uh, we'll sing it a couple times and you'll catch on. It goes like this. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me, bless His Do that again. He has done great things. Great thing. 
Sing that again. He has done great things. He has done great things. Let's sing it one more time. He has done great things. I'd invite you to be seated, friends. And, uh, Throughout these next few minutes, I want to lead us through a, um, a conversation together, just about, if I could, a little bit different than what we would normally handle prayer time. Normally, time, prayer time um, in our church is recognized this way. We'd invite people to the front of the room and say, can we pray with you? And that's really good and really appropriate, but today I want to do it just a little bit differently. I want to give you a moment for you to... Um, ask that God's peace would step into your life. And in that context, the way we're going to do that is by saying, okay, in the midst of what I'm aware of, what are the things that God has already done? And so, create a little private space for you and God right now. I invite you to bow your heads and invite you to put your hands on your knees and just say, God, speak to me in these next few minutes. And, and palms up, reflective of, of your willingness to hear from God. Because I would ask you this, in this moment, how would you say, hey, God has done some really good things for me in the past. I, I, I can see and know of some places where beauty has really burst forth out of the muck, out of the dirt, out of the really tough times. For example, there are some sweet moments in your family, right? Some really good moments there. I'll step into a place also that might be even a little more difficult. There have been moments in your marriage, even if it's been difficult, where it was really sweet. Even if it's difficult right now, you say, okay, but in the midst of what I'm aware of, this was good in the past. Can you today with your hands open to the Spirit of God to speak to you? Can you be reminded of your salvation in Jesus Christ? There have been times along the way when your job was really, really good. It might not be so good right now, and that may be part, be part of the chaos, but God has been faithful in the past. There have been days, months, years, decades when health was really good. It's hard right now, but your health has been good. It was that time when you got to be by yourself for a few days, and it was really sweet, and it wasn't lonely. Or there was the time when you went on vacation with the whole family, and with a bunch of friends, and you look back through the photographs, and you go, man, we had a sweet time. And there was that time for most of us here today where we would say, God, I remember the day or I remember the period of my life when your grace became a reality for me. God, I'm going to rest in that peace. I'm going to lean up. I got some question marks. I'll lean into the question marks, but I'm going to let you be the author and the finisher 
of my faith, namely the author and the finisher of those question marks. And so for today and tomorrow, and for the days after that, I'm going to step away from worry, fully aware of life, not escaping, but fully aware, God, and resting in you. We will live there, God. We'll do all we can, God, to live there. In the name of Jesus.